Are you blessed or are you cursed with a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst? Do you wanna confide about the darkness inside? Come and talk about it on Self Worst. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Self Worst Podcast Show. I'm Brad Pearson, the host and uh, maker of the show. Been away for a couple of weeks. Sorry about that. Had a little bit of a gap. You know, just, uh, it happens. Can't always get it together. Life happens. Uh, things get busy. You can't book a guest. It's, it's difficult. It's hard. Everybody, it's just so hard. But we're back this week. I, uh, man, I, I tried to put an episode out last week, just a bonus episode even, uh, and I just couldn't get into the zone. And uh, it just, it happens sometimes. Not gonna, you know, worry about it. We're back now, and we're kind of in the groove. We have an episode coming out this week anyway. That's all we can really do, live a day at a time. It's April. It's one of my favorite months. It's a nice month. The weather's kind of hit or miss, but what are you gonna do? Flowers are blooming, you know? We got... We had Easter and Passover and Ramadan all on the same weekend last weekend when I was when I was uh, away. I wasn't away. I was still right here. Didn't go anywhere. I was away from the internet. Uh, we had a <laughs> we had a mass shooting in my absence. Uh, so that was cool uh, in in New York, and that's kind of been talked to death, honestly. It's fucked up, and what's gonna happen? What's gonna come of it? Uh, what are we gonna get rid of all the guns? What's gonna? We've already kind of forgotten about it, have we not? We've already moved on. It's just a thing that happens now randomly, and we're like, well, ooh, ooh, well, gl- glad he had shitty aim, I guess. Shot all those people, like what, 10, 11 people, point blank. Didn't kill anybody guy fucking sucks um i don't know it's it's 420 as i'm recording this um and no i'm not high i don't do drugs on my podcast that would be unprofessional and i take this very seriously i have never smoked grass before recording a podcast how dare you Caitlin's out of town. She's off in L.A. She's in Tinseltown, working for the pictures. Having a real glamorous time out there. And it's just me and Dottie holding the fort here in Brooklyn, New York. We're doing good. You know, I'm just I'm just going around being a bro. Just leaving the toilet seat up and stuff. Uh, drinking out of the carton or whatever it is guys do. I don't... I, Toilet seat's down, by the way. I'm looking right at it. I don't like keeping it up. Uh, the lid. I, I, I close the lid and the seat. It all goes down. All down. That's the way I... Because that way, you have far less of a chance of dropping anything in there. You ever knocked a bottle of pills off the shelf and goes clink, clink, clink down into an open toilet? And you're like, well, that could have been avoided. It has a lid on it drop your fucking phone in the toilet and like well that's kind of on me a little bit 
Anyway, I keep that closed. But we're doing good here. We're just, you know, living it a day at a time. It's a beautiful day. We're gonna go take a walk. And, uh, gonna enjoy this nice weather. Day at a time. When it's nice, it's not always nice. But it's, you know, it's beautiful. It's, it's this transitional season. We got the promise of summer coming. It's, it's a good time of year for me. I like it. I've always really liked Easter. I like the pastels. I like, I like bunny rabbits. I like the candy is good. Candy, Easter candy is on point. It's one of the better ones. We've been watching a bunch of movies together, Dottie and I. Just having movie nights. That's about all we've been to. It's nothing really all that exciting. Watching movies about nuclear Armageddon. Watching Threads. Watching The Day After. Watching When the Wind Blows. Dr. Strangelove. Miracle Mile, maybe. I don't know. Reading uh, White Noise by Don DeLillo. That's what I've been taking in. Actually, I just finished that. Now I'm reading... The body keeps the score. Uh, this is a lot of stuff, you know, just disasters and trauma. Disasters and trauma. And uh, that's just how I've been dealing with it. That's how I process just life and the world around me. I feel better now. I actually am doing pretty well. I hope none of you are concerned with my media intake. I'm doing, I'm, I'm feeling good. Bro, I'm vibing. I'm having a nice time. I, my therapist canceled this morning because I think she has COVID. Uh, oops. Uh, but I, I, all I was going to tell her was like, I'm doing produ- I've been feeling pretty productive. I've been putting out feelers for new job stuff. That seems promising. And uh, I'm exercising and things seem I'm, I'm grateful every day. I'm doing gratitude lists and I'm, exercising. Did I already say exercising? I don't know. I'm on my grind. I'm doing good. I'm in my Sigma male grind core, grind culture, grind set, hustling, making stacks, living life large, doing everything right. Um, And life is good. Hope you are well. Hope you didn't miss me too much in those two weeks. I know I get kind of bummed when my favorite podcasts, uh, you know, take a week off or whatever. I'm like, oh, this is one of the little things I was looking forward to. But here I am. And uh, here I'll be. Hopefully we got, you know, more episodes coming down the pipe. For now, we are talking to Pam West. She does all kinds of shit. She went to clown college. She was a dominatrix. She's just she's just a crazy lady. Uh, she's we talk about this. She she grew up with with um, my my beautiful girlfriends uh, Caitlin Hughes. They were best friends uh, in high school, middle school. They go way back, and they're kind of reconnecting now. You know, like you know how life goes. You have a best friend for a long time, and then yeah, you just sort of. You go to different colleges, maybe, or you just, you know, you move to different places for a minute. It, 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 life happens, but 
Your love for them never diminishes. Reminds me of one thing that I wanted to say. Um, in my absence, in the last couple of weeks, uh, we lost a friend, friend of the show, Willoughby Subplot Jones. She's a dog. Um, dog that uh, my dear friend Toby Jones and I uh, got way back in, what was it, 2007, something like that, when we were uh, both bright-eyed, bushy-tailed college boys, uh, and we thought it would be a good idea to uh, take in a dog that lived with us in our uh, crappy house uh, that had a mouse infestation in college, and uh, we were right. It was a good idea, and she lived a long, beautiful life, and uh, sadly... She passed. So we're pouring one out. This episode is dedicated to one of the greatest dogs to ever dog. And we're, you know, we're chugging along. We're living our lives. Spring is springing. And I don't know. That's all I got. What, you want some perfect nugget of wisdom in the beginning? This is just literally me. I introduce the episode and I kind of just say what comes to me. It's like jazz, man. All right. I got to go. Because uh, I, I got to, you know, I got to go live my life. I got to go do shit. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Pam West. So, uh, we have a, uh, a very special mutual friend, um, in, in common, uh, you, you grew up, uh, best friends with, uh, you know, my, my beautiful girlfriend, uh, Caitlin Hughes, um, and, uh, you're, you're from New Jersey and all of that. And, uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, just, uh, that your upbringing and, uh, uh, how you came to know Caitlin and, uh, how you, you know, you, you became a little... A little inseparable pair, uh, Enid and Rebecca, sort of. <laughs> yeah, I, um, we both grew up in suburban New Jersey, uh, Flanders, New Jersey, kind of like northern suburban, you know, whatever, <laughs> what, whatever New Jersey. Um, yeah, I kind of had an unfortunate childhood, not, not in that, not, nothing really to do with my family, but like, I was kind of blessed with this head of, curly hair and a mom who had no fucking clue what to do with it so her amen solution- sister I, hear yeah. you there. I feel your pain you did right you know and so my mom's solution was to brush it which oh, is the- no you don't brush curly hair no no you don't so i had that going for me i was probably already like a little weird just because who knows why and yeah then of course you know I was a little chubby. I decided that like bangs would work one day. So I also had like a fluff of like curl in the front of my head. Yeah, and bangs don't really work on curly hair. You, you can, but like you really have to. You, you have to magic. be that. You have to be that person who yeah. can do that. That's not me. I think we're too curly. You and I, mm-hmm. you don't have, we can't do that texture with our 3BC. I, I think, think I think, that. yeah, I think your curls are even tighter than mine. Maybe. Um, possibly. I don't know. So, yeah, Caitlin and I, Caitlin and I met through a 
theater dance center, um, which was a little suburban, like tap jazz ballet dance school in Flanders. And um, we connected over a mutual love of Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. <laughs> so you were real fucking cool kids. I was real cool. I I found like the worst musical to be obsessed with, meaning like, wow, that, you know, I mean, listen, there are two kinds of people. People who like Andrew Lloyd Webber and people who pretend to not like Andrew Lloyd Webber. That's, mm. I will stick by that. So we both bonded over mutual love of, uh, or at least knowledge of Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. I know her mom at the time was a uh, part of the Michael Crawford fan club as well. So we got to bond over some Phantom of the Opera stuff. And yeah, we just became our own little insular group of friends. And uh, some people, I guess, make cameos in our friendship, but it was pretty much like we were each other's like ride and die through through uh, middle school and high school once we were able to be part of the same school. Right. It's what, um, I don't know with musicals. I was never able to, I can't, I couldn't stomach them. I just couldn't, I could never really even, even like Disney musicals kind of stuff. I was, I was always like, I really love this except for the singing part. Like it's just kind of annoying. And like, I, I couldn't do it. It was too, uh, I, even when I was a kid, I was like too cool for school and like thought I was, thought it was all lame and thought it was like the singing was dumb and, you know, I was like, this is gay and stupid and don't bike it. So I don't know. I mean, it is gay. It is pretty it is, gay. <laughs> it's pretty yeah. gay. Um, and yeah, I listen there. I'm going to, I'm going to give you two more kinds of people. Mm -hmm. People who are either okay with cats, the idea of it, the musical, the musical, or they are not okay with it. And you can never convince someone who's not okay with cats to suddenly be okay with cats. They will never accept that there are a bunch of fucking grown ass people committing so hard to being cats on stage wearing like unitards. And then for someone like me, I'm just like, great. Okay. I like dancing. <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm surprised. I mean, we're, we're the same age, right? Like you're th I'm 35. You're yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm 37. Yeah, so you you were raised during the Disney Renaissance, and and mm -hmm. those those were good songs. Those were like I think legit good songs. Yeah, I mean, I mean, honestly, I guess I liked the Lion King. I liked the music in the Lion King, um, yeah. but I felt like I grew out of it really quick, and then was like very quickly just like, oh no, that's that's kid stuff, and I I can't. Um, I don't know if like a lot of that was just. Uh, midwestern masculinity and like boys don't like musicals and like you know mm -hmm. singing is stupid and whatever but like i i i just couldn't i couldn't do it but the there's just sort of uh sincere earnest joy of of musical theater has always just been kind of like i wish that that was for me because that just seems like you can just kind of let go and just have this like dumb fun thing that you don't have to take too seriously and it's just fun and people like it and it's it's great yeah i my you know the thing is though i've really grown out of musicals like i am not into what's happening right now my older sister described it as musicals have become 
that person who we used to make fun of for loving musical theater so much. Mm. Now every musical is based around this like very whiny, like high schooler, like belting in that mm. annoying, <laughs> annoying way, at least from my perspective where I no longer really bother to see musicals because I'm one of those like old school, like golden era, candor and ebb, like, I don't know. I don't, I don't see musicals anymore. It's also like prohibitively expensive. So I'm not going to like do a $100 to $150 gamble on a Broadway show that like could likely suck. Right. So you later in life, um, you became a dominatrix. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, I feel like I've noticed in the kink and sex work and just dom community, sub dom, whatever community, uh, it seems like there's a big, like nerd to kink pipeline. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I have some theories on, on why that is and what that's about, but I'm curious what you think about that. That's interesting. Because so I worked as a uh, as a dominatrix for like, I think like nine months when I was uh, 24, 23, 24. I had my 24th birthday there. I remember they got me a cake and they like bought a dildo for me and they put it in like gold glitter. And they said that they like made a gold cast of Joseph Gordon-Levitt's dick for me. And they brought a cake. It was really nice. Um, so I... The reason I became a dominatrix is because I was reading um, not Joseph Campbell's book, but a film, a film book based on the, like the hero's journey theory that, you know, we all get a call to adventure. We ignore the call, then we take the call and then we, you know, go on the adventure and we learn something about ourselves. And I was working at uh, Amy's Bread at the time, which was horrible and boring and retail. And I was like, what's my story? Like, what am I doing? Right. And someone uh, posted an ad on their friend's Facebook saying, hey, I found a job for you. And it was a Craigslist ad for a dominate for a dungeon back in the day when Craigslist could like have ads like that. Right. And I, I answered it. So that was uh, that was kind of like why I did it. Um, because I thought it would be like interesting and weird. And of course, like you don't just do that, you know, <laughs> you have to be predisposed to the idea that it's okay in the first place. Like on my, for my interview, it was this very, actually very kind, like old man named Richard, named Richard in quotes. Right. And he, um, he was like, I feel bad asking you this because you're so young, but would you fuck a guy with a strap on? And like, I had to like, I didn't know. I didn't know that was what it was. So I had to think about it and be like, yeah, yeah, I guess so. So the people, the people I worked with, I would say they did not necessarily fit the demographic that you ask your original question about. Like, I would say that those women, of course, a variety of women, like people, <laughs> high turnover rate right. in the dungeon world. They, um, I don't know. They were just very varied, young, educated. Some, I mean, some were like total actual sex workers. Like they loved it. They fucking like, she would definitely fuck her clients. We weren't supposed to do that. Cause that's illegal. <laughs> um, she would, she once like came in, she came into the locker room and just said, 
oh my god i just squirted my period blood on someone's face <laughs> so we so just there's, had there's like a locker room you go to yeah. there's like oh, yeah there's like a little dressing room locker room so we could keep all of our gross leather goods right that are all crusty yeah it's gotta be um, a, that's gotta be a, a interesting smelling locker room um was, is, like you just you just go like any other job you, you show up you punch in and exactly you, you put your outfit on you do your work exactly and so naturally of course i got into like the kink community so i started going to um you know fetish parties i think um i forget what it was called but there was a big one that was at the delancey once a month that i attended a few times and yeah that's where you start to really meet like for I'm not part of the community, but for lack of a better word from for me to describe it, like the Dungeons and Dragons type, mm -hmm. like a lot of like, I would say people like couples who are coming from the spirit of like role playing or what's it cosplaying? Is that how you say yeah. it? Um, yeah. And I think there is a very fine line between like cosplay and just and just straight up like sexual role play i think it's it's very you you look at i've never actually been to well no i've been to comic con but i just like dipped in real quick because a friend of mine was tabling there anyway um but just the vibe there is so horny and like there's something about uh nerds who finally get around each other and are just like they can't they can't contain their horniness or something it's it's powerful and palpable like in the room yeah i'm i'm like i'm thinking about that too because like i'm definitely i'm definitely a dork i'm not a comic book dork mm -hmm. like um but you're a musical maybe, theater dork you're, i'm a musical theater dork in middle school, I was a Monty Python dork. Right. Yeah. Then high school, I was like a big Broadway one. And, I think, and all of that. Yeah. And I think like maybe the reason we, because fetish, I think a lot of people think that like in terms of fetish, something happened to the person for them to develop that fetish. Mm -hmm. And that's generally not true, actually. Like uh, as far as I can remember, I was like, I've had a clown fetish basically, or I've had like a people in masks fetish or like people in makeup kind of fetish. Like I would get kind of excited when I would watch Legends of the Hidden Temple and one of those temple guards would like come and grab someone. Whoa. Well, like, but you know, I was eight. I didn't right. know like, I was yeah, excited. No, but, but like but. childhood, it, it is a thing. Like I know what you're talking about. Like it's prepubescent, like this weird, it does some... <clears throat> weird thing to your child brain you're kind of like oh that makes me feel there's like some latent thing that doesn't know what it yeah. is yet and you're like oh that, that feels weird and it comes out later yeah hopefully and like, in, a, in a healthy and, and nice way yeah and i think like and and maybe it's just because people who are dorky or people who are nerds like you know they have less social interaction so they probably spend more time creating or like kind of nurturing those fixations Mm -hmm. in some ways you know so i don't know i think i think that's one one breed what one theory like i've I mean, never yeah. actually thought about this until you asked me my theory is sort of similar it's that it's it's like a a, a champagne cork 
You know, like there is just there's this adolescence of awkwardness and sexual frustration and sometimes repression, tension, bullying, and just feeling very um, often kind of overlooked or unattractive or, you know, having kind of a social awkwardness, you know, no game. And then all of a sudden, sometime in your Usually seems to happen in people's twenties. I noticed this happens like happened a lot when I was in college. Like kids who I knew were like big capital N nerds were just the horniest, Um, and it's because they they finally get to they finally get to go to college and reinvent themselves, and nobody knows that they used to be just like a embarrassing nerd with like bad hair and you know like like that you're not supposed to run a brush through and stuff like you know and and it's just it's a chance to just be like okay here we are and i finally get to do this thing and it's i think i think that's definitely true because like normies i mean they just do the normal you know they just date Mm -hmm. they have penile vaginal intercourse because they don't know any better they don't get a chance to be creative you know like and then, yeah, I think, I think that your exact experience kind of happened to me. Cause like, I definitely started to like learn about like sex when I was in high school. And then like, once I got to college, people told me suddenly I was attractive. Not only was I horny, I was attractive. Mm-hmm. So, and then I went to bar to college. So I was surrounded by fucking weirdos anyway. So it was just like, Oh God, I could like, I could really fly a freak flag here and that's normal. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, you, you came into uh, it's so the turnaround in, um, doming, you were there for like nine months. Is that a, is that a typical like stint? Uh, is that, do people usually do it for like a shorter amount of time, like a year or so, or are there lifers or. I think, I think like, it's like, yes, the answer to your question is just, yes, Mm -hmm. it's literally all of the above. Um, So some people might come from a place of trauma in terms of just that, like very stereotypical, like what kind of woman does this kind of work narrative, you know, someone who some people have been molested or I even had a coworker whose husband like kind of forced her to do it. Yeah. Um, I mean, she wanted to do it, you know, like our, our owners would never take a woman who wasn't there of her own. Right. But, um, so you had people coming from trauma, you had people like coming like anthropologists in a way, like people like me, like weirdos exploring either something about society or something Mm. about themselves, people just trying to get through school who were kinky. And yeah, you definitely had like people who are genuinely into it. Like they are sex workers. Like I have plenty of friends who enjoy the work and it ebbs and flows. And of course with the pandemic, you know, yeah. who knows what, but um, yeah, I mean, some people, some people really love doing it. And in terms of lifespan, you know, some people last a day and some people last years. And I think I probably, I might've been on the longer side of average. Hmm. I would say you, you, 
a lot of people come to do that work. But in terms of the two people who can actually sustain that work, you're either able to totally emotionally detach from the act or you genuinely love it. Mm. So someone like me was neither of those categories. So, you know, I stayed, I, I ended in like eight or nine months. Mm -hmm. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it anymore. What was your clientele typically? Like what kind of dudes were they? Um, I mean, pretty much, you know, like businessmen. Right. That's, that's the stereotype anyway. Yeah. That's what I've heard. It's like business. Well, people with the money to spend first of all, yeah, because it's and, not cheap. Um, uh -oh. and, uh, there is, I think what I've heard a lot about it is men in high powered positions often have this side of them. That's like, I want to go like the other way and be powerless and be, yeah. you know, dominated and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So, that, that that's the stereotype. Um, I'm, I, I think like also when I got into it, it was like 2009, um, or 2010. And I think that was really like when independent doms and independent sex workers were really taking off because of the internet. Right. So in terms of like high end clientele, I'm not sure if like we were the place for that because, um, we weren't in the financial district. We were on like 38th street between fifth and sixth. So we were right between like <laughs> the bridge and tunnel people kind of, you know, the grand central and the Penn station. Yeah. So we were getting, um, I don't think I had anyone who is like, I made a bunch of obviously like super wealthy people who have like $400 to just dump on two hours of like massaging someone's foot. But um, yeah, just mostly like kind of unimpressive business people. And then just some right. fucking weird and then some fucking weird dudes. <laughs> right. So, so like, yeah, occasionally like a real, a true weirdo, but mostly just like run of the mill, like very mediocre white guys in their yeah. maybe 30s, 40s. 40s 50s yeah 40s 60. okay yeah getting up there. Okay. yeah 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 um yeah. there's a lot of uh you know controversy and kind of gray areas uh when it comes to and, and i think people have a lot of i don't know different attitudes about sex work in general in the sex industry um and especially like with Domin dominatrixing dominatrixing doming doming um yeah. with doming that's kind of outside of the typical sex work uh arena or it's like it's like one part of it where like yeah. it's legal it's not you're not actually having sex with them i guess it's it's different because you you fuck them with a strap on but yeah. you don't actually they don't fuck you or whatever yeah. like it's 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 this weird kind of work around around the the laws surrounding sex work and um the laws and kind of society's morals around sex work i think are uh just kind of an interesting area and often sort of frustrating um just because there's there's a lot, I think, of well-intentioned people who uh, add to the stigma and illegality of sex work out of an interest of stopping people from being exploited. Um, huh. And, you know, like, 
the like with the um Fosta Sesta Act, you know, for, for instance, that, that that came about a, a few years ago. It was like a, a, a sex trafficking. It was about sex trafficking, you know, mm-hmm. and um, is like stop something sex. Tra- I f- I forget what the acronym is, but a lot of um, liberals and Democrats got behind it because it's on paper about stopping sex trafficking and. And, uh, you know, sexual exploitation, human trafficking kind of shit that is like very dark and bad and fucked up. But what it ended up doing was removing a lot of agency from women sex workers who were doing this of their own accord and Mm -hmm. ended up pushing them further underground and endangering them further because there was no longer a digital paper trail there was no longer you know uh, a, a, a vetting process for clients and you know it's it's really hard to navigate that area because there are people I mean you know you went in sort of of your own accord and you're like I'm just doing this as sort of an experiment but there are a lot of people who do sex work out of necessity I would say globally that's the majority of people who do sex work yeah um and it's a survival thing but again that to me doesn't mean that it should be illegal that means that it should be decriminalized and accepted and it's another way of selling your body the way you sell your body when you go to work and go to mcdonald's and work there or whatever the fuck you're doing yeah right i I was a waitress for eight years way more trauma for me (laughs) I've had way more trauma from being a waitress than being a dominatrix. I think like, I think sex work should just, uh, it should be 100% legal. It should be human trafficking should be illegal. Right. I mean, that's the (laughs) thing is you can't, it's really hard to even voice any opposition to those sorts of things because you like, obviously I'm against sex trafficking and obviously I'm against human trafficking for fuck's sake and like exploitation of minors and uh women and often like very poor marginalized undocumented immigrants that are being like sucked up and exploited by that system like obviously clearly I'm against that but illegalizing it and putting not only the workers but like Johns and everybody organizing it behind bars isn't going to stop it from happening isn't going to stop those abuses and is going to like further again drive that underground um and yeah i don't know it's it's frustrating and i think there's this uh there's this very uh disturbing trend i think that seems to be happening in kind of the culture war in america right now especially uh with conflating and i think they're purposely conflating uh sex work and kink and queerness with uh like sexual exploitation and human trafficking and pedophilia and all of these things that are like clearly bad and morally wrong with just like anybody who's kind of a sexual deviant and i think it's a really scary prospect putting like getting all of those people lumped in together. Yeah. I mean, it's, 
it's all about fucking consent. And I can tell you, like, I have a friend who has done illegal sex work. Um, she was one of those people, like, basically, you know, she'll align all your chakras. She'll give you a great massage and all that. And uh, her place of work was busted. And uh, she was arrested. And she was arrested with um, a bunch of uh, probably Asian women immigrants. And she was like, there wasn't, you know, they claim they're doing it for us, but it wasn't like there was a single person there who could like speak Chinese or, or Mandarin. Like there was no one who was speaking to these people. This was purely theater. This was not done for us. They were not advocating for us. This was not for our safety. Like this was. Right. It was, and it now was all funny. of those women are out of a job, have a criminal record, and like, yeah. what the fuck are they supposed to do? So they'll go further underground yeah. somewhat. You know, like there's a place, um, I don't know if it still exists, but there's um, a place called the Fetish Fortress. And um, I think it was in the financial district. And it was specifically for um, Asian women, um, like Asian doms. And they would pay for those women to get like breast implants and all these things. And like... I don't know. I mean, yeah, a lot of those women are probably immigrants, but it probably doesn't help them any if you bust them and then make them go to somewhere even like sketchier where someone's like can exploit them. I mean, my my boss had no power over us in terms of exploitation and he wasn't even he wasn't going to do that or fuck with us in any way because uh, what we did was legal and we like I, I always felt safe. I yeah. always felt safe there. I don't know. Yeah, I just it's it's a hard line to walk. And I think it's it's again, there's a lot of well-meaning people who get behind things that are playing right into the hands of a really creepy kind of religious right puritanical thing. You know, when you have like a guy like Ashton Kutcher and like Demi Moore and all these fucking people like signing on to, um, you know, a, uh, FOSTA SESTA and and trying to uh, fight human trafficking was like the, like the big banner that they march under. What they're not understanding is they're playing into the hands of an agenda of people who are trying to lump in people who uh, are, you know, like want to teach kids about pronouns and all of a sudden they're being labeled groomers. And like, this is what's happening now in American discourse, you know, and like just giving kids the option of understanding that there's such thing as uh, casual sex and consent and gender non-binary and trans people and just education about the world of that is somehow harming and exploiting them and trying to like get your creepy little pedophile fingers on to our beautiful, innocent kids is just like really not a good look. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's like, to me, it's so totally unrelated to the realities of sex work, that yeah. whole thing. I don't know. I mean, people don't understand that. Like, you're just basically going to become who you're going to become basically i think like i i don't know the the more you the more you drive sexuality underground the more it's going to become fetish today and today in fact speaking of fucking fetish i was sitting here existing like a normal person i hear like chanting and singing from my window and i go and to look and there's a whole passion play happening outside like there's 
a parade of people singing about Jesus, I guess. And there are people dressed as centurions whipping a man who's carrying a cross. And oh, I'm like, right. It's Good Friday. For the yeah, listener, good it's Friday, Good Friday right. as we're recording this. Happy Good Friday yeah. and or Passover, everybody. Right. Whatever. And I, I, I turned to my husband, who's a Irish Catholic in terms of upbringing, and I was like, you motherfuckers are responsible for every fetish that exists. Like the fucking leather, the power, the pain, the fucking like people like line up to be like crucified to feel what it's like to be, you know, they, they want to feel what it was like to be Jesus. Basically, these people, this like the Catholics are totally responsible for fetish and kink because they just said you can't. And then bombarding people with images of like sexy tone Jesus getting whipped by these like powerful men. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. That's like they they create they created it, and the more they try to stop you from being sexy sexual, or the more sexual you're going to become, and the weirder and the more you're going to fixate on things. Yeah, I mean what I you think. were what you were saying with uh, you know you become who you become. Um, I've heard this a lot with uh, you know. <sighs> A lot of people, I'll hear stories from a lot of people who, uh, women especially, who consider themselves like very feminist and very progressive, but they are into being dominated. They're into being um, like, you know, whatever, violated, slapped around, like in a, you know, mm-hmm. consensual way. But they have such, there's so much shame around that, mm-hmm. like, from both sides like it's it's yeah. not only is it like a bad and dirty thing through like the re- like religious puritanical thing but it's also like that's not what you're supposed to want as a feminist woman to be like you know shamed and exploited and like led around on a dog collar or whatever the fuck you're into you know yeah. and and so like they feel this like immense sense of like this isn't like what's wrong with me. I I shouldn't like this. I shouldn't be into this. And it's just like the answer is always just like you're into what you're into. And like <laughs> it it might have something to do with like trauma and you're wanting to replay an event and be in control of it. Um, and, you know, you want to um, kind of have agency in an area where you felt powerless at one point. Or it's just, you know, like what a lot of the like what i've heard from a lot of people in the therapy world and sex therapy is you know like trauma is held in the body there's that book the body keeps the score and so like there is something within you that uh is going to i don't know just just be physically aroused triggered by certain things that you might not be able to like get out with a talk therapist and so like a lot of people consider uh, 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 kink and role play as a form of therapy because it puts your body through that motion in a way that like just talking about it on a couch won't. That that makes a, that's, that's actually interesting because this reminds me of uh, some of my clown training. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I had this uh, brilliant teacher um, named Giovanni. He, uh, Giovanni Fusetti. He um, did this three-week was workshop. Was he Italian or something? Yeah. I'm kidding. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah, maybe just a little. 
he, he is at, he's very Italian, of course. And he, um, there's a guy named Jacques Lecoq and that's his real name. He's French. Jacques not, Lecoq. Right. It's not sexual. Okay. <laughs> that's just his name. <laughs> and he's, uh, kind of the, um, the, like, What's it? The Stanislavski of like clowning and physical theater. I feel like if your last name, if your name is Jacques Lecoq, Jacques Lecoq, then like you yeah. have to be a clown. Like what else you are you gonna? Be, you have to be a fucking asshole. Yeah. French fucking. Sorry to the French. Actually, no, not sorry to the French. But um, he said that whatever the body or whatever a person doesn't express, whatever emotion a person doesn't express gets impressed onto the body and becomes your character. Mm. So what we did in clowning, because this is kind of like physical therapy in a way, is we studied how each person naturally kind of stands or just naturally walks. And, you know, when you're in your own body, you're just like, this is neutral. This is just the, the normal way to walk. And everyone around me is the one walking weird. But when you have a whole bunch of people studying like Oh, Pam, your like shoulders are forward. When you walk, your head is always very straight. You're like, you seem like very tense and you're very like rigid where you go. And you have all these people kind of study what you do um, naturally, like what your body actually does without you thinking. And then like the teacher, what he does is he's like, okay, put your clown nose on and now like exaggerate it, exaggerate all those things we told you you do like times three times 10 times a hundred. And then like, I was, I was in class and I was watching everyone. Cause once he got you into that kind of like physical clown state where you were really like exaggerating your natural tendencies, he would get into the space with you and kind of like fuck with you a little bit. Um, you know, like, especially since you're a clown, you are stupid, you know, like, and he would get into the space and make you feel stupid and kind of like dominate you. And I was getting really excited because I had a crush on Giovanni. I was like, I can't wait to go up there. Giovanni's going to, it's going to be hot. Yeah, I want to and, fuck um, this Italian clown. Right. I can't wait for him to dominate me. And then I get up there and I get into like my clown body. And he, uh, he starts, he gets into my space and he starts backing away from me. And then I'm like, I see him do that. So I like stalk toward him. And then he gets down on his hands and knees and he says, you can hit me if you want to. And he was like, and I, as my clown, I was like, yeah, I do want to hit you. And he's like, you can step on me too. And like, I was just, and I actually had a clown friend who I did tell about my past. Like I told her I was a dominatrix. And when Giovanni like got on his hands and knees and said that to me, she just bursted out laughing and she got up and she ran around her chair a few times. Cause she was like, how did Giovanni see that? And it was like, and I talked to him about it. I was like, I was a dominatrix for a year. Do you think I'm like, that's, something I kind of like got impressed onto my body, like some kind of trauma thing. Or you think the reason I pursued being a dominatrix is like the way reason that appealed to me is the same reason this is the way my clown is. He's like, I think it's the latter. I think you, for whatever reason, you are like turned on by like power, like not turned on sexually per se, but like turned turned on, like excited by it. And like these images of like powerful people and you being powerful and he was like I had a hard time with clowning when I first started because like a lot and this is totally rooted in sexism like a lot of clown teachers were just like you can't be sexual as a clown woman 
you know, it was right. always like men can like do whatever with their dicks and like creep on female volunteers and whatever. That was always fine. But women, it was like, you can't be sexual as a clown. And this was the first teacher who like saw me and like told me he, he needed to see like more of me. So can we like, can we sidebar real quick and 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 just explain clowning real quick as just like it is literally your training to be a clown in in like yeah. a classic sense of there there is a, a a European school of clown training. Yeah, so there I th- I'd say there are two broad categories of clowning, and that's going to be like circus clowning, which you would expect that like is kind of like American, you know, like Barnum and Bailey. If you're going to go mm-hmm. train as a clown in that school, you're going to learn like skills like juggling unicycle tightrope walking like slapstick balloon animals Uh, yeah exactly like things that you would expect to see at like ringling brothers and um but then there's like kind of the more european french russian italian um even i think south american too Mm -hmm. but of course like every every culture has their own like kind of like um what was I going to like full stock character. So each person, each culture has this. And the point of this kind of training, like the French Jacques Lecoq training is that it's believed that each person has like an individual fool that's unique to them. So the clowning training is unearthing that fool that is very specific to that person because each person has a fool. And the point of the clown mask, the red nose is that it's the world's smallest mask. Um, cause you know, you have a neutral mask that covers your face and your mouth. So it's all about your body. You have like commedia type masks, which, mm-hmm. uh, expose your mouth. So you're talking. Um, and then you have the clown nose, which is just the, the red nose. Right. So supposed to direct everyone to you. Right. And that's, that's easier to do than putting on and taking off like a full face of, you know, clown makeup. <laughs> it's way harder. <laughs> it's way harder to find out who you are and be who you are and be like, so like in terms of just things people like can understand in common culture, like Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin, Mm -hmm. like those are clowns that are only those people. You can play other people's clowns. Like someone could play Charlie Chaplin, but that's Charlie Chaplin's clown, the tramp. And like, I would say drag queens, like that is clowning to me. Mm -hmm. That's like clowning, clowning 101. Cause like, I think the the queens that we as a society end up loving the most are the ones who we believe are showcasing who they kind of really are. Like right. the ones who are just kind of using the There's makeup an inner mask. something. There's an alter ego. It comes from somewhere within. Yeah. Like when you see when you see like Bianca Del Rio, you feel like you're just seeing an enhancement of who she is when she's totally in like drag. You know, it's so yeah. I so think your clown, you, Pam West, your clown happens to be just a, a dom, a big swinging dick. She is, her name's Madame Bouge, and she is, a, I'd call her an egomaniac whore. She's great at everything. She's just so, and she's just so, so horny and happy to be horny. She's, she's just great. Mm. <laughs> I love her. Um, have you been, uh, performing lately as, as Madame Bouche? No, I, I like when the pandemic started, I mean, yeah, the pandemic and everything has been kind of an issue. Um, I like, 
I was doing like the Zoom thing, like I was co-hosting an open mic for kind of like a year on Zoom, but it, it didn't feel like, didn't feel real to me. Cause like, if you're clowning, you gotta, you gotta have an audience. You have to have people. Yeah. I mean, I tried to watch some Zoom comedy shows and like sometimes it would translate and really most of the time would not. And I imagine especially with clowning because it is so physical and you have yeah. to like, it's really head to toe physicality and performance. Yeah. It's not just like, you're not just, you can arguably deliver a stand-up set from a Zoom screen because it's just hands, face, facial expression, voice, but clowning is like your entire body, like you'd have to back up against like your wall there and like, yeah. it's just, it's just not going to work. Well, and also you have to be like very, like successful clowning you have to be so intensely present with what's actually happening in front of you in the room. Um, so I did, I was lucky enough that like in the space between Delta and Omicron, I was able to do uh, some performances again. Um, and like once, once you realize, like once you realize you don't have a fourth wall, you don't need a fourth wall. You don't need to pretend you have a fourth wall. It becomes like very fun. Like you have, the outline of what you're going to do. And if people are actually responding to you and like speaking to you, it's like so much better <laughs> to mm. like be able to speak back and to change your actions based on like the audience and things like that. Yeah. You need, you need like to, you need eyes on you in a room. Yeah. You see, this is where you're uh, like so immensely different from Caitlin because she is so incredibly uncomfortable with anybody in character speaking to her anything like a ren <laughs> fest or like even like audience like a, a, a crowd work anything like that where it's just like somebody who's like on or playing a part or something and they like accost her she's like no i don't like that so i mean she might be okay with it if they're good yeah i guess like, so. i don't know most people probably i've never been to a ren fair this is a gross generalization but it's just like a very high skilled thing to be able to actually do crowd work and work with people. And I'm not saying I'm that person yet, but like, if you, uh, good, good clown, good clown crowd work is when you like bring up the audience volunteer and like everyone in the audience goes like, wow, that looked fun. Right. I would like to, I would like to do that. Yeah. It, 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 oftentimes it feels kind of mortifying i guess um you know you know what i mean like it's it's often just kind of like oh shit like don't you know like don't look at them <laughs> don't look at them. like i don't yeah, want to no. get picked my my dad is like that mm -hmm. um like he'll just be like no don't speak to me and i think like good 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 performers know not to pick on my dad you know but whenever i used to go to clown shows like i was fucking ripe i was the i've been the I've been picked every single fucking time. And the, like, there's a show called Old Hats by with Bill Irwin and David Shiner. And they're just like, you know, legendary clowns. And I knew, I, I, I like got my ticket last minute. I didn't even know which seat I would have, but I had like third row aisle. And I saw everyone ahead of me was like a geriatric because who the fuck else sees a clown show? Right. And I was like old intellectuals. And um, I was like, well, I didn't say fuck. It's I was like, yeah, it's gonna be me. I just know. And then I like 
got picked right away and I was like sawed in half and I was just so good. Everyone thought I was an audience plant. I wasn't, <laughs> I was having fun. I mean, but that guy with David Shiner does like, wouldn't be acceptable anymore. Cause he like fucking molests you. And since I have a clown fetish, I was like, he should have been more concerned about me than I was about him. <laughs> but he was like touching me. So let's talk a little bit about uh, mental health. Uh, this is a well, mental health podcast. We've been sort of talking about it, uh, clown yeah. fetish and everything like that. And that's def that definitely comes from somewhere. Physical that definitely comes from therapy. a thing. Um, yeah, but um, let's go into just sort of, um, I don't know, more, uh, <laughs> more of that. Let's go into more of that. Let's go into uh, your history, depression, anxiety, any of that, uh, therapy, and, and where you're at with all of that stuff. Anxiety. Anxiety's anxiety. your anxiety's your one. Anxiety's my 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 friend, <laughs> my good like hello darkness, my old friend. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think like, and and I've been I've been in therapy for um, I'd say close to three years now, and we've done some really good work, kind of uncovering the root of all that. Um, and you know, of course, it all goes to childhood, and it all goes to like. When I was in elementary school, as we touched on earlier, I was, you know, bigger. I was puffy haired. I was weird and no one liked me. I didn't really have any friends. And then in middle school, I like made the decision, like I was going to be good at school. I was going to lose weight. I was going to figure out what to do with my hair. And I did. I did all that. I like became valedictorian in middle school. I was like great at everything. I became like super intelligent. I even like really, really like dug into my weirdness. But of course what I was doing was like, if anything fucked with that or if anything went wrong, like I wasn't understanding something in class or something, if anything was on the brink of going wrong, total and complete catastrophe total and complete like meltdowns like and it was and my therapist and I uncovered it's because I'm so terror I was so terrified of who I was before all that that like it see if anything went wrong it would seem catastrophic to fall back to like what I used to exist in right the new like, Pam that you had built with good hair and uh, everything yeah. would, would fall apart and you'd turn back into like frizzy Pam yeah frizzy you know fat no, no friend, Pam. And, you know, I, I, I was a middle child too. So there was like a lot of, lot of vol volatile relationships with the older one and the parents. And I became very quiet because I didn't want to be the person who caused trouble, of course. So, and they, the therapists always say it's the quiet kid you need to be worried about because they're the ones who are so afraid of things going wrong because they are so terrified of like what the what the result of that could be and like I can't necessarily it seems like that's kind of the origin of my anxiety and like I can't because like I can't tell you an event like I don't have a singular traumatic event right. that happened to me that caused it usually doesn't it's um, usually not that and it's usually um there are you can sometimes pull up snapshots that are like especially exemplary of what was happening, but oftentimes it takes a long time to explain and notice a pattern of just like, 
oh yeah, every time I don't understand an assignment, every time I get so much as a A minus, I have a meltdown and I have this, I've, mm-hmm. I've like turned into this like type A monster. Um, you know, it, it's really hard to pinpoint often. Yeah. And like, and I'd say probably, of course, with like social media, everything, it just like started, you know, it's like that like parabola curve. It's just like, or exponent, it's like exponential. It keeps on like building, building, building. And then you have all these like events that are happening in the world. And then you have all this access to like news about it constantly. And then you have the whole idea of clickbait. So they want, they, they, catastrophize everything so you'll click on it so you just get this very limited view of the world where everything is just going badly and constant messages that it's true things are going badly and then add to it i talked to my therapist about this she says it's true add to it my jewish heritage the issue the issue with um and i told my husband this because he doesn't have anxiety like i do I was like, you know, one of the reasons I think always worst case scenario, it's always like eight for me, it's always A to Z and Z is the Holocaust. Right. And I'm like, like the reason I get so creative about all this is because you think I'm being ridiculous, but Jews know that the worst case scenario has happened and it was even worse than you could think of. It's a reasonable uh, <laughs> assumption to make. I feel like there's there's a good reason for, you know, uh, people of Jewish descent to have sort of a, a an emotional bug out kit. Yeah. Yeah. What did my, my therapist said? She's Jewish as well. She was like. A Jewish therapist. I've never heard of something. Like right. <laughs> Who knew um, from New Jersey? Anyway, go on. Well, she said, okay, if a non-Jew is thirsty, they drink water. If a Jew is thirsty, they have diabetes. That's, and I'm like, yep. My mom guffawed because she's not the Jew in the family. My dad's the Jew. So my mom just like laughed so hard because that's like her reality is being surrounded by all these people who are like, oh, I have this like new spot near my boob. Is that breast cancer? Right. But not just like normal breast cancer. This one breast mm. cancer I looked up that's like if you see it, you're dead. Like right. that that breast cancer. It's it's that, right? It's that's like there's always something creeping around the corner coming to get me. Mm. Um you mentioned social media uh being mm-hmm. a, a big agitator of anxiety. Yeah. Um I've found that to be the case as well. I've had to uh really limit my social media intake over the last uh few months especially um i I particularly i for whatever reason get really triggered by um uh, i don't know wars and uh footage of war uh big domineering nuclear powers clashing against each other that's always just been something that's been just very like oh this could be very bad for like not only the people there, but like everybody, you know, and it, it yeah. like, I catastrophize and it, like the dominoes fall pretty quick in my head. Um, and so it's just not a thing where like, I have to, it's not a thing where I'm in control. Like it's not, a, I, I, I think a reason, big reason it's been so upsetting for me, um, is because I, you know, 
like all of us, like we remember growing up and watching 9-11 happening and then that leading to the Iraq war and like understanding like when I was even in high school, just being like, but they didn't, but that's not, but this isn't like what, yeah, what's not, happening. That's not, not and, and then like, and in just like sort of helplessly watching this happen, you know, and, and understanding that like, this is going to go very bad and this is going to just, a lot of people are going to get killed and a lot of people are going to get hurt. And I can run out in the street and protest and scream all I want, but like, it's just not gonna, I, I can't stop it. And like that feeling of powerlessness of just being like, stop, stop, stop. This isn't good. And just like the, the powers that be just marching ahead with it um, yeah. was just uh, just really gets to me every time, like to this day as a 37 year old man. Um, and th the only way for me that I've found to be able to accept it is to just accept it and accept my powerlessness and all of it and just be like, that ain't my fucking world. Uh, I will continue living my life and going to work until I literally can't, until there's like rubble in my way or something, you know, like it, it's yeah. just, it's not a thing I control. No, it's, it's just like, it's, it's such a powerless feeling because it's like, you know, each, each summer feels like it's getting warmer and like, you wonder like, I know the United States does it all the time, but you see Putin invade Ukraine and you're just like, we still do this? Like, this is a thing people like, why are we still doing this? Haven't we all the, like, I, I was watching, I was watching Downton Abbey with my husband and there's uh, some trench warfare scene. And I told him, I was like, why do men create these things like the stock market and war? And then they make up all these like stupid rules that make like, why are these people fighting in trenches? Why aren't they fighting them now when they're sleeping? What are these dumb rules? Why does it's this still, work? I mean, yeah, you would still need a good 30 minutes to explain why the fuck World War One happened. Yeah. Like, and why? like all those millions of people died. And then led to World War II, like almost directly as a result. Like it, it, and it all happened just because of just this complicated matrix of all these treaties. And if they do that, we have to do this and yeah. they do that. Like, blah, blah, like insane. I don't know. Like, and sometimes I'm comforted by acknowledging I have no control over it. And then other times it makes me hysterical that I have no control over it because like, I know people like AOC will be like, recognize your own power. But like, since I can't stop this, I feel totally powerless. Mm -hmm. And it's just so hard to like, navigate what to do as an individual to stop this. I mean, even fucking just like Eric Adams. <laughs> like, how did that yeah. happen? Like this fucking, he's, he's basically just Trump, but with like, you know, gay lives matters like plastered to him he's still like the same attention power money corrupt seeking piece of fucking garbage like every one of our pol every single politician it seems is that just like how do how do i get the most money and it doesn't matter like they're just all sociopaths like it doesn't matter to them what happens to the world to their children to their grandchildren to anyone i'd like don't I will never understand the pursuit of power and greed. So how do you uh, deal with how it? Do I how, cope? how what yeah, how do you cope? What does your therapist say? What are you what are you trying to do to get um, get away from it? I I think it's like the reason one of the reasons the pandemic was so hard 
was because it stripped it stripped a lot of people, especially artistic people, of the things that kind of like fed them. Like I, before the pandemic, I worked at a restaurant, which was what it was, way more traumatic than working at the dungeon, just so people know. <laughs> um, and I would go to like dance classes. I would go to open mics. I had a creative community. I would perform. I would do all these things. And like a lot of my art is attached to like, you know, my physical body and learning physical skills and being physically in front of people. So having that stripped of me, stripped me of my creative outlets. So I had like, I was just as everyone was so totally and completely isolated. And it's like, so I had this epiphany when I was going on a hike and it was kind of steep. And I was like, I, at this moment, I'm thinking about nothing besides one foot in front of the other. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how the pandemic is. Cause you know, when you're walking down like a steep downhill on a hike, you're not thinking about your next novel or like, you're not thinking creatively. Or you're not thinking about that thing that might be good in your clown act. You're just thinking of like not dying. And that's yeah. what the, yeah, that's what the pandemic has been. And I saw this one um, really inspiring quote, I think, from like a Holocaust survivor who said just like, just fucking like dance and sing. It's like, that's in a way it's like being connected to your own individual like source of joy does does actually stick it to the man because they don't want you to be connected to that. Like Vladimir Putin doesn't want you connected to your joy. Like Mitch McConnell doesn't want you connected to your joy. They want you miserable. So like being an artist and being like, I'm going to have my 10 minute dance party in my room and fuck all of you. Like I'm going to have my joy is like, is defiant. You know, I think like trying to And I've been trying, and this is like a battle still because we're still in this like weird, are we like, is the pandemic over? Is it not over? You were going to do a clowning thing and then you got COVID. I got COVID. So how are you? You okay? You, you, you recovered? You're all right. It was, I thought it was out for three days. Nah. Um, Husband got a little bit worse probably because he was like stewing in my mess, but um, we're both up and dancing and running and, you know, triple vaccinated. So really i've been way sicker um but like i think one reason i feel so close to death constantly is because i'm doing nothing to feel alive Mm. it's interesting because you you said there's kind of two things going on um that the pandemic did strip you of everything that you were doing and stripped a lot of people of, you know, what they were doing to uh, cope and express themselves and, you know, shine their light, whatever Mm -hmm. you want to call it. Um, But what you were saying about uh, that hike and putting one foot in front of the other and how that was a lot like the, like the pandemic sort of forced you into that mode as well. Like, did that become sort of a, 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 a way of of getting through it um because it, it, it almost sounds like that you know what i'm saying like it it almost sounds yeah. like that uh was beneficial in the way it sort of forced you into presence yeah like you can't think too far ahead if you don't even know what ahead you you have no idea what the ahead even looks like 
mm-hmm. which I guess is true all the time, technically. Sure. But definitely feels much more the case in like a global pandemic. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I, I lucked out in a lot of ways. I was able to like pivot into video editing, which is kind of like a peripherally creative career, mm-hmm. you know, which kind of makes it in a way harder to connect to your creative self because you're using up a lot of your create creativity. Right. No, it's a, it's a lot. It's like a balance. It's like a, it's, I don't know. I don't, I actually don't, I don't know what's like next for me, but I feel like my way in is going back to my dance classes in terms of like where where's my next creative venture gonna take me it's a ever-shifting world and it's very hard to find a um equilibrium with it there was a moment during the middle of the pandemic like pre-vaccination pre like kind of you know restrictions and whatever being lifted that did almost feel like, okay, I found my groove. This is our routine. This is what I do. I have the exercise that I do at home. We go on our walk and, uh, you know, we have some sort of schedule. I know what I can and can't do here in this world. And now Mm -hmm. since things are sort of in flux again, the world is open again. You can kind of, there aren't really restrictions. You can do whatever you want. You can go wherever you want no more mask mandates it's fucking over yeah. people are acting like it's over but people are still getting covid so there's still like this weird kind of gray area yeah now uh it is really difficult to find uh what the fuck you're supposed to be doing next yeah i yeah i felt like i was gonna say something smart <laughs> no, I can't. I, no, this is what I was going to say. I was going to say that, like, also, I don't know if you experienced this as well. If um, I, I assume anxiety is anxiety your poison of choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got some depression, some anxiety, some ADHD. Uh, I feel like depression and anxiety are kind of a, a two headed monster, two, head, two, yeah. two sides of the same coin. I feel like I tend to lean more towards depression and despair uh, rather mm-hmm. than. Uh, uh, like anxiety and go 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 and like yeah. I can't I can't stop the can't stop the ride kind of thing. Um, I think. Well, I I was thinking like something about anxious people is when the shit really does hit the fan. Mm-hmm. We're okay. <laughs> we're yeah. okay. It's like the worst that you know. This is what we prepared for. The yeah, I, I I this is a thing I said often, kind of. Uh, you know, in 2020, like during like the the real meat of the pandemic was mm-hmm. that a lot of us who had had depressive issues or anxiety issues uh, were doing a lot more OK, it seemed than like the normies. And it, yeah. the same thing kind of happened, I think, in, in 2016 for a lot of people where uh, it just felt like so many people were so shell-shocked by like everything that happened in 2016 with Trump and the election and blah, 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 that mm-hmm. I, I kind of was like, yeah, what's up? Welcome to my world. Like I've been here. I've, I've known that we're all doomed and like, this is, everything's bad. And I felt the same way in 2020. I was just like, yeah, like what you, you weren't walking around scared all the time. Yeah. Like, I mean, cool. 2017 well, was like one of the best years of my life. <laughs> You know, it's like some, and sometimes, 
sometimes I need to remember that like politics will be politics. And like people found out that the Roman empire fell when someone on a horse told them like 10 years later, right. You know, like it really, like the, the, the way they move their chess pieces in some ways. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I'm saying that as like a white woman, I, I mean, the way that the chess pieces they're moving are significantly affecting a lot of people. So that's definitely coming from a privileged place. Sure. But, um, let's, let's, let's do our privilege corner. Um, we'll both acknowledge that we're, there we're, we're white people, middle-class and, uh, yeah. educated. We have and homes. And we have, homes, we have internet, we have streaming services. Um, yeah. you know, like we have a lot going for us. Um, and yeah, sure. Like the, the way things are, uh, precipitating right now, of course, the poorest and most vulnerable people are the ones that like eat the most shit from all of this. Um, and it's hard to, uh, I don't know, acknowledge that and try and work towards a better world where mm -hmm. that's happening less, hopefully, but also again understand that there's very little we are actually in control of it's it's like, it's a hard balance to find trust me if i was in control that would all stop mm -hmm. <laughs> you know that would all if i was in control that would all stop so it's just like all we need to do is get somebody with absolute power with really good intentions and then everything will be fine right that's it that's all that's uh, like, who is that person though? Like, I, I don't want to be president. I have good intentions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't, I don't want that job. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. It's like, I mean, it doesn't serve it. I know people tell me this. It doesn't serve anyone to be upset all the time. Yeah. I mean, there's just really like, again, like I want to, of course, always acknowledge, uh, you know, that major world events and the falling apart of the world and even like grander scheme things like climate change are probably not likely to like physically affect me. I don't know. They could, but yeah. I think optimistically that I'll probably be okay for the most part um but that doesn't mean that it's not going to affect anyone but at the same time i'm like ah, yeah i don't know i don't fucking i don't know like, i don't know what fuck? to do anymore like the last like several years have just been like rubbing my face in it that like there's just nothing you can fucking do like throughout the uh, the entire pandemic i don't know how anybody walked out of that experience uh just not completely blackpilled just like not just completely cynical to the effectiveness of uh, electoral politics, of uh, established powers of, of, of order, of uh, just our ability as common people to just work together on anything, yeah. agree on just fucking anything and give a little bit for each other and act like a society like that's fucking out. So it's just like... Man, I don't know, man. I, I'm I, I'm I'm gonna uh, hang out and grill some stuff. 
Right. It's like every man for himself and I'll be nice to everyone I who who's in my you know, who who I meet. I will try to treat them with kindness and respect and fucking at least show up to vote during the Democratic primary, which only like 20% of people did for the New York City mayor, which does actually affect us, yeah. you know, very directly. So that people, you know, I didn't even rank fucking Eric Adams. Fuck that guy. I would have ranked like fucking Yang before Adams. Yeah, he sucks. But, yeah, but I didn't rank either of them. But um, yeah. I Eric think- Adams, come on the podcast. Asshole. You got a lot to answer for. I he, he won't. Don't worry. He, he won't. won't. <laughs> I don't care. I don't want him on here. Pam yeah, West, I, thank you so much for being on the show. This was great. Um, is there anything uh, you would like to plug? If people want to find you and your work, uh, uh, delve into the world of Madame Bouge, uh, anything they, like that? They can follow me at the Madame Bouge on Instagram. But to be honest, uh, Instagram wasn't sparking joy for me anymore. The whole self-promotion game. So mm-hmm. I kind of stopped doing it. So I update ever so infrequently. And I basically just use Instagram to doom scroll. Um, but they can follow me there. Maybe I'll uh, I'll get the, the kick to... Uh, Start playing with Photoshop again and making you little know, If you want to doom scroll, I recommend Twitter. Twitter is Twitter is like top notch doom scrolling. Really watch the world fall apart in real time. Instagram is more for like compare and despair. Instagram is more for like oh like that person looks like they're way happier or uh, richer or more fuckable than me, and I feel bad now. Or there's my ex, and I feel bad now. Twitter is is the doom scrolling uh I, if, if that's what you want to if that's what you're looking for my biggest poison is reddit i think reddit is the worst for oh, me reddit's yeah reddit's a fucking reddit's, gnarly because yeah. it's fucking so consuming it like tricks you you know you could it's like ooh, am i the asshole's fun because it's just like watching reality tv um and then suddenly you're going to the popular page and you're just seeing like trash bags of like cats being euthanized or just like the the last thing you you know like just horrible shit suddenly you're just like very quickly into horrible shit and then why do you live the end on that note it was wonderful talking to you it always is yeah Uh, give caitlin uh my regards if she's not just like sitting on the other side of the computer yeah she's like right here i'll just pan over and she's like right there (laughs) All right, um, I'm going to talk to you later, all right? Yeah. Thank you so much once again to Pam West for coming on the show. And thank you for listening. If you would like to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash selfworst. Kicking as little as a dollar a month, and I got bonus content and all that shit. And, uh... Let's see. Follow me, Brad Pearson, at Radical Pearson on Instagram and Twitter. I've been kind of back on Twitter lately. I've been sort of dabbling. I'm not uh, super into it right now, but I, I've been I've been back on there a little bit. Who cares? Who the fuck cares? Who is who is like clamoring and jockeying for like a, a position? Like, oh, I can't wait to see Brad's tweets. Oh, thank God he's back. His podcast is back. He's back on Twitter. Oh, boy. But anyway, I'm on there. Radical Pearson. You can follow me. Uh, you can follow the show at Self Worst on Instagram, 
just Instagram. It doesn't have a Twitter. The show does not have a Twitter. Some guy already has that domain, or has that username, or whatever, that handle. And I'm not gonna, I don't care enough to try and buy it off of or whatever. So, self-worth on Instagram. Music is by Shea Bartel. That's about it. Enjoy this, uh, you know, the splendid spring beautiful time of year take in take in the air the spring air smell the flowers all of that shit wash yourself you know hygiene wash your clothes brush your teeth all of that buy some new threads it's spring get some new outfits get some new shoes cause you've been wearing them all winter and they're fucking gross Hang out with some people who you haven't seen in a while. Reconnect. That's your homework. Reconnect with a childhood friend. If you want. It's, it doesn't. It's, it's sometimes just kind of awkward. But anyway. I love you. I'm Brad Pearson. Until next time. Uh, spring flowers. I, I got nothing. I don't really like my old the, the go out and fail it's good for you catchphrase anymore. Don't. It's like the show's not really about that anymore. Nobody's listening to this part. Anyway, end of podcast. <laughs>